where three women with names discuss movies that are about something other than a man. Paid in Puke is hosted by Amy Green, Christina Barr, and Jessica Baxter. It's also a spoiler-filled free-for-all. You've been warned. On today's episode of Paid in Puke, we're talking about Quentin Tarantino's 1997 crime drama, Jackie Brown, starring Pam Greer and Bridget Fonda. Quentin wrote the script based on the book Rum Punch by Elmore Leonard. I have never read this book, but the movie definitely has Quentin's stink all over it, so <laughs> I assume that it's not all that similar, <laughs> other than maybe the plot, like the heists, not the heist, whatever, the con plot, I guess it's like a three-way con scenario. For centuries, Americans have gathered together to celebrate the holidays, reaffirm family ties, and wish goodwill to all men. But this Christmas... Got a brand new bag. Now you gotta listen to this, man, because this concerns you, all right? If you have a chance to walk over the half-million dollars, would you take it? Yeah. What do a stewardess, a gunrunner, a bail bondsman, an ex-con, a federal agent, and a beach bunny have in common. You gonna come in on this thing with me. You got to be prepared to go all the way. They're all chasing a half million in cash. What do you Half a million dollars will always be missed. Let him get the money and then just take it from him. She's trying to play your ass against me, huh? That was fun. Yeah, I really had the spot. So she and your girlfriend, that what you felt? Oh, I hope you felt appropriately guilty afterwards. What's I do? There's only one question. Man, I ain't getting in this trunk. You ain't gonna be in here no more than 10 minutes. Man, I ain't riding in no trunk for no minute. Who's playing who? Let's make a deal. Yeah, so what's she gonna give us? Are you gonna offer to set him up? Yeah. I go doing something stupid. Pam Greer, Samuel L. Jackson, Robert Forster, Bridget Fonda, Michael Keaton, and Robert De Niro. Is she dead? I, I, I... Yes or no, is she dead? Pretty much. Quentin Tarantino's Jackie Brown. Read any Elmore Leonard? Yeah, I mean, I feel like he's got a ton of books, and they're all kind of like you know, like Out of Sight is based on Elmore mm-hmm. Leonard and Get Shorty, and like oh, that's kind of they make good movies. Genre. Yeah, I haven't either. I really liked Get Shorty though. I didn't know that was him. My dad loves Elmore Leonard. Like that's the kind of demographic he is. Yeah, like, Quentin you're, Tarantino you're and. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> is there a cat? Oh, we should get a Ken Susan. I remember what he said about Jackie Brown when he saw it. I mean, definitely he had read the book because he loves Elmore Leonard. And I remember he said that people said that it was too long and that to him it just takes its time. <laughs> oh, that's kind of nice. That's yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a good review. <laughs> <laughs> Can't do sense. 
I do know one difference, which is that in the novel, the character is a white woman named Jackie Burke. Quentin Tarantino wrote the script with both Robert Forster and Pam Greer in mind for the leads. So he changed her name to Jackie Brown because it was a nod to Foxy Brown. When Foxy Brown comes to town, all the brothers gather round because she can really shake them down. And apparently he had all her posters up in his office or whatever, whatever room they met in. <laughs> and she, she asked if... He put them up because she was coming over, and he said, I was going to take them down because you were coming oh, over. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was kind of cute, almost. Yeah. If there was a way for Quentin Tarantino to be endearing. Right. <laughs> yes. Which I don't know if there is, but that's it's so close. It's, so close, Quentin. Yeah. Probably not because I could imagine the way he would tell that story, and it would be very grating, I think, the way he would say it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, we can talk about what the movie's about, which is, it's about a flight attendant named Jackie Brown who smuggles money from Mexico to to L.A. for an arms dealer, Ordell, played by Samuel L. Jackson. And she gets set up by a cop and a DEA agent, and they blackmail her basically into helping them catch Ordell in exchange for her freedom. And at the same time, she organizes a way to steal Ordell's money so that she can retire because she's in kind of a dead-end job situation because of a prior conviction. And then there's a lot of implication that because she's a middle-aged woman, she can't get another job, which I don't really understand. But... We can talk, we can start with Hot Probs. I have some of those. Shut up, Hot Probs is on. Oh shit, yeah. But that's one of mine. They never say that, but it does feel like that to me. Like the implication is like, but you're a woman in your 40s. What are right, you going to do? Right, yeah. They do act like, I think they say she's 44 and they do act like she is very, very old. Yeah. <laughs> like you look great for being 44. Right. Okay. Normally, I'd what be is, barfing in a toilet looking at it. What is that 44-year-old <laughs> woman going to do? I don't know if that's written into the book or not, but I was reading some of the screenplay just to remind myself of the whole con because it's it's a little complicated in parts. Yeah, it was a complicated con. And I was noticing that thing that people talk about sometimes. Describe a man the way a, <laughs> a man describes a woman in a screenplay. Right. <laughs> And there was a lot of that. Oh, okay. The description of Jackie Brown was like, she's a woman in her 40s. She's like way hotter than that. And then I was really annoyed by his description of Melanie, who's also supposed to be an ancient 33 years old. Whoa. Like an aging beach bunny. (laughs) Fuck off. I know. And even Ordell is talking about all of his ladies he has set up all over the LA area and saying Melanie isn't as pretty as she used to be. You know, it's like, wow. And then there's a picture of her younger on the fridge, and she's like 16 in the picture. Like, oh yeah, too bad she doesn't look like she's 16 anymore. Rose. I mean, at least they also sort of act like Robert Forster is really old. Like, there's a little of that when he's like, got hair plugs or something. Yeah. He's going bald. He's aware of being old. Yeah, and they're like... Over a decade apart, and it's kind of implied that they're the right, they're, yeah, yeah, they're the right age for each other. Like, right. It's a good thing she found this old dude who will have her. Right. <laughs> I don't. Oh well. Yeah, it's weird. It, there's a weird focus on age in this movie when it's like regular aged people, you know, yes. <laughs> like cocoon or something. <laughs> Even that though was like. Oh god, no, there's a thing where Wilfred Brimley is. The same age as Paul Rudd now, or Paul Rudd is the same age as Wilfred Brimley was in Cocoon. Yeah, so many 
good-looking men have been the same age as Wilfred Brimley. Because <laughs> let's get like wow. 10 years ago, I think George Clooney was his age. And I think Brad Pitt has been that age. And that age. <laughs> so really, it's just that Wilfred Brimley <laughs> right. should not have been able to play a senior citizen right. as early like, as he was. Old man makeup or something. <laughs> <laughs> we shouldn't be measuring against Wilfred Brimley. <laughs> we need a different unit of measurement. The Brimleys are too narrow. Okay. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so that's one of them. It's just rife with ageism. But then, like, they don't really get into it too much with Ordell and Lewis. Yeah, Lewis is old. Lewis man, is the know? fucking oldest guy there, right? Yeah, I would say. I think Robert De Niro has been 70 for 20 years. Yeah, it's also, I guess not in the universe, but it's like the most noticeable to me because he's been Robert De Niro forever. You remember when he was young. (laughs) That's true. He's an old Robert De Niro phase. He really is. I hate the way that they handle the whole Melanie thing. I mean, I just really feel like Melanie's done super dirty in this movie. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't care for it. It's almost played for laughs when she gets shot for making fun of him and he's been a dick to her this whole time but like she's not allowed to make fun of him a little bit she'll just get fucking murdered for making fun of him yeah jesus but if you two aren't the biggest pair of fuck-ups i've ever met in my entire life how did you ever rob a bank hey when you robbed banks did you have to look for your car then too no wonder you went to jail is it this aisle lewis is it Lewis? Is it this aisle or is it the next one over? It's this one. You sure? Yeah, I'm sure. You're positive? Don't seem sure to me. Hey, don't say don't say anything else, okay? Keep your mouth shut. Well. I mean, don't say one fucking word, okay? Okay, Lewis. See? <laughs> Just where I said it was. And isn't that hilarious? I had forgotten that that's what happened. So that whole time in the parking lot, I thought he was going to smack her or something. It was a lot of tension for me. Maybe it's because I was watching by myself. Like, I didn't think it was supposed to be funny so much as it was just... I mean, I didn't get that vibe that it was supposed to be funny. Well, I thought just said it was because right afterwards, he's like, see, there's the car just where I said it was. Oh, right. Like, but yeah. <laughs> What? Yeah. I didn't get, like, a funny vibe from it, but then later when he told Ordell, I feel like Ordell definitely felt that he overreacted, you know? Definitely. But then he also was kind of like, well, is she dead? For real? You know, um, like, I thought that it was a very casual conversation. Yeah. He's like, oh, man. <laughs> you killed my little no, server girl. Yeah, you know, why couldn't it be just... Yeah. Like, yeah, he does say, like, you, why you should have just hit her. her. Yeah. Like... Yeah. <laughs> God. Where's Milne? Well, that's that's what I want to tell you. You see, she was bugging me the whole time. She got pissy with me because I wouldn't let her carry the bag. And then she started running her fucking mouth about, you know, like, because I couldn't remember where the car was parked right away when we came out. So then she got on me about that. Is it this aisle, Lewis? Is it that aisle, Lewis? It's totally fucking with my nerves, man. So what? So you left her there? I, I shot her. You shot Melanie? Twice. In the parking lot. You couldn't talk to her? Well, how can you talk to her? You, know, you couldn't she, just hit her? Maybe, but I, at that at that t- moment, I don't know. I just... You shot her twice. Is she dead? I, I, I pretty much. What do you mean, pretty much, Lewis? That ain't no fucking answer. Yes or no? Is she dead? I, I think so. Yeah. You think so? Tell me, Lewis. She's is dead. she? She's dead. But where'd you shoot her? In the chest and the stomach. 
if he had to do it, then he had to do it. What we don't want is that bitch surviving on us. Not anybody but that woman. But then also, I feel like that conversation is almost played for laughs. That's what, I, that's what yeah, I'm saying. Yeah. Like, that I could see more as being meant to be funny than, like, when he actually shot her. Especially because it's like, you left her at the mall, and Liz is like, not exactly. Right. <laughs> Ugh. Yeah. I don't love it. It's yeah. very uncomfortable to watch all that shit. Just because I'm not sure how it's meant to be taken. Right. If it were a director who was more clear in their intentions or maybe not so known for their misogyny, I could be like, all right, these are just like these two misogynist characters, not that we're supposed to root for them in any way. Right. I do like that it's off screen. Yeah. This is definitely known as his least violent movie in terms of visual violence and even body count, I think. It's like such casual violence. It kind of reminds me of Pulp Fiction where he's like, Oh man, I shot Marvin in the face. Why the fuck did you do that? Well, I didn't mean to do it. It was an accident. In Pulp Fiction, the audience was laughing in that part. Like, oh dang. I definitely think that whole thing is supposed yeah. to be funny. And then even where it leads, where they go, you know, right. they go to Quentin's house and then they get hosed off and then they have to wear this. Right. Yeah. yeah, that is supposed to all be funny. It just rings differently when it's like a woman who they've already been making fun of for. Right. Well, yeah. he kills her on purpose. You know, the yeah. thing with Marvin in Pulp Fiction is an accident. I think what's supposed to be funny is he accidentally kills him and then is kind of casual about it as if he ran over a pothole or something. He kills her because she is annoying him, you know? Yeah. I guess he's feeling emasculated or something mm-hmm. because she's saying, you're old, you don't know where the car is. <laughs> right. He was already annoyed with her because she was taking too long in the bathroom. And, like, it's just a series of misogynistic yeah. reactions to her that lead to that. Right. Which is why it's so uncomfortable. Right. Although, (laughs) the follow-up, you know, when Ordell kills him, I feel like Lewis is supposed to be a loser, you know? I really like when Ordell kills him and he's sort of like, what happened to you? You, I think he says you used to be beautiful. (laughs) I love that. I'm giving you fucking reasons. Oh, 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 oh. You're going to tell me the reason you lost every goddamn cent I got in the world? Hey, man. You're going to tell me reasons? You Let me tell you the reason, motherfucker. The reason is, your ass ain't worth the shit well, no you, more. You better fucking back off, man. What the fuck happened to you, man? Your ass used to be beautiful. So, I feel like the whole thing... You think maybe that was a little bit of vengeance from Melanie, not just because he didn't check I mean, the bag? I don't think like, he kills him because of Melanie, but I think that's part of it. You know, when he says, like, what happened to you? Basically, like, you used to have it together, yeah. and now you're a mess. And I think that's part of it. Like, yeah. He fucked yeah. up a lot, and I think he includes that as part of it. Like, why did you kill her? You yeah. Know? It seemed like he was, like, a nice guy. Not a nice... Well, you know, like, in the beginning, like, he seemed, like, really quiet and just got out of jail and... And he was in jail for bank robbery, not murder. Right, right. Right. I was so shocked. I had totally forgotten about that part. It was really shocking when, that he did that. I was like, oh my god, I forgot. It is really out of nowhere, right? <laughs> Especially, I just, I didn't even think about before how he was not a murderer before. If he'd been yeah. a murderer before, I'd be like, okay. it's old hat, just killing someone. But you don't off. know, but I mean, he just, he, he could have murdered jail yeah. for. You yeah, know that's mean. true. That's possible that he's killed lots of people casually. Right. <laughs> like Ordell does. Exactly. My goodness, I really like the whole 
I think it's well done, the tension of him with Beaumont and mm. the whole Beaumont scenario, I think is yeah. really well done. Yeah. That's a scene that takes its time, or like a s- couple of scenes, I guess. You know where it's going, but it's just played so slowly, and how he spends his time convincing Beaumont to go out with him. <laughs> no, I, I know, he's going to get waffles. I know. <laughs> I was like, that would probably work on me. <laughs> And how small was that jail cell, motherfucker? Look, man, I know I owe you. You got to bring all if this If you owe up. me, then get your ass in this trunk. Man, I want to help you, but I won't be locked in no goddamn trunk or no car. You think I want to spend $10,000 on your ass, huh? Man, I know you Do you, you think I want to out. spend $10,000 on your ass? Of course you yes did, no? man, but you nigga get in the but trunk. But that's the only way I could help you, right? So that's what I did. Now, look, man. All I'm asking you to do is get in the trunk, hold this fucking shotgun, and point it at these booty heads when I open them. You catch a nigga off guard with this shit. Look here, look here, look here. I tell you what. When we get through fucking with these Koreans, me and you go to Roscoe Chicken and Waffle on me. Think about it now. That skull special, smothered in gravy and onions, side of red beans and rice and greens. <laughs> That's some good eating. Man. Exactly how long I gotta be in this motherfucker. <laughs> I've heard that Roscoe's chicken and waffles is so good in LA. I've never been, but it's like this legendary chicken and waffle place, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'd want just the waffles, but <laughs> I'm sure their waffles are Maybe great. Maybe have some fried tofu thing. Like... <laughs> I'd be happy with just a waffle, honestly. Yeah, I don't want savory <laughs> waffle. I want it sweet. So, okay, this is kind of a problem with just Quentin Tarantino in general, I guess. Mm. In this movie, the characters say the N-word 38 times, which is like, yes, black people are saying it, but Quentin Tarantino wrote that into the script. He wrote it in 38 times. He really likes that word, you know? Yeah. That is a problem about him that is like, I think, not defendable. Yeah. I don't know if you read into this too, because, you know, like Spike Lee really doesn't like Quentin Tarantino because of this (laughs) Mm -hmm. and how one of... One of the things Quentin Tarantino was quoted as saying is that as soon as a word gets that much power, you need to just shout it from the rooftops to take away. It's no, oh. <laughs> no, you do not. Because a, a, no word should have that kind of power. And it's like, okay, not really your call. Right. You know? Exactly. Yeah. 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 It's like, oh, yeah. God, he's not offended by the N-word. That's so <laughs> meaningful, you know? Like in Pulp Fiction, how he gave his character a black wife so he could say it a bunch of times, you know? Like, yeah. He loves to say that Ugh. word, you it's know? It's gross. Yeah. He loves to write it and he loves to say it. It's really gross, yeah. Really? And I mean, and when they, I get there would be some authenticity in black characters saying it occasionally, but I think in that case, what he should do is be like, just talk how you think your character would talk. Right. But I guess he's so married to his own dialogue, too. He's not a Duplass coming in here being like, <laughs> just say what you feel. But I think okay. he should in certain cases. I remember yeah. him talking about how when he was a video store clerk, he grew up watching black exploitation movies. It seems like he has sort of like a like fetishy mm-hmm. thing going on with that kind of movie. I don't know. Well, he's kind of given yeah. himself a pass because he's like, yeah. because I love those movies so much, it means that I'm an honorary black person or right. something. I don't I know, know what he like, thinks. He gave himself a good <laughs> Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. <laughs> and then I think, didn't Samuel L. Jackson defend him at some point? I'm sure he has. So then he I mean, was like, oh, well, now. Right. <laughs> now that's I'm, his black friend. That's yeah. it's okay. You know. 
Yeah. <laughs> so that's a big problem. Right. I watch the movie with closed captioning, and I, I do that a lot because I don't like missing anything. Yeah. And I was just, like, surprised to even see it in the closed captioning. Like, oh, really? It was spelled out? out? Oh, that's I surprising. was like, oh, really? Yeah, well, that is surprising. I... Weird. Yeah. I feel like you should not do that. <laughs> yeah. That's definitely one word that should just be star, yeah. stars. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was expecting, but I was like, oh, wow, they really typed it out? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I think Max's bar recommendations are really bad. <laughs> That's a problem for me. Have you ever been to the river bottom? I don't think so. It's all right. It's a cop bar. Can we just stop at a 7-Eleven or something? I thought you might like to have a drink. I'd love to have a drink, but not there. How about the Hilton by the airport? Is it dark? Kind of a sports bar. It doesn't sound dark. Why does it have to be dark? Because it looks like I just got out of jail, that's why. Look, you're dropping me off at my place. There's a joint near me. He's like, we can go to this cop bar? Right. I just picked you up from jail. Do you want to go to a cop bar? Or we can go to a Hilton sports bar. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah, I know. It sounded so bad, but it is very fitting with his character. He's like the pleated khaki pants guy that yeah. goes to the Hilton sports bar. I don't know. But yeah, that does sound really not a good, not a good fun time. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. He's square, kind of, but he's not a loser. I feel like a square might still know, like, a nice place to go, but he doesn't know anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess he doesn't go out much other than, like, to the mall. <laughs> yeah, he seems like a very lonely guy. And then he has this job, which is totally soulless. He's, like, the world's only honest bail bondsman. Right, yeah. <laughs> Hiding in people's houses. Yeah. them and, you know, Is that really part of a bail bondsman's job? I don't know that Does that seem more like a bounty hunter thing? I know. <laughs> a lot of bail bondsmen are bounty hunters, too. Oh, they are. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know that. Someone very close to me, her dad was a bail bondsman slash bounty hunter. And yeah. Oh, wow. And I, I think she said that that's more often the case, that they're both. It's like, all I know is from Midnight Run and from her. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But I feel like you really have to be shady to be a bail bondsman or a bounty hunter. Yeah, but he isn't somehow. I mean, I guess he's a tiny bit, but mostly like, he's shady with a strict moral code. He just seems like a lonely guy who's very much about his work. I don't know, like the part where he's bringing one woman to the jail and he's like, hey, I'm picking up. Yeah, Jackie picking Brown, up and dropping off. Dropping off somebody. And it's yeah. just like, I can't imagine having a job like that. Yeah, it's like we don't weird. really know how he got into that line of work. He never says. That would be interesting to know. Well, I kind of thought that maybe Jackie Brown kind of influenced him to get out of the business. Like the scene where he's picking her up and he first sees her coming out of the jail. Like they play the music. Mm-hmm. And- what? It's like he's somehow brought to life a little bit more. <laughs> he's not this wooden character. He's like, he sees the humanity in her mm-hmm. and not like, these are just people I've got to take from point A to point B. I don't, I don't know how to explain <laughs> it. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
I still feel like he doesn't fit the bill of that kind of... Maybe it's just Robert Forrester Hmm. just being so affable and trustworthy seeming. (laughs) Why would you do this job? And the way he talks is he just has one tone of voice. No emotion about anything. I've never seen him Mm -hmm. in anything else, so I don't have anything to compare to, but... He's got, he's yeah, just... he's got like a sort of stoic delivery, but I feel like it's all, all in his eyes. <laughs> he's definitely an actor who emotes with his eyes when he's got, like, his face is doing something different than his eyes. Yeah. I really liked him in the last season of Twin Peaks. And again, he did the kind of same thing. <laughs> <laughs> stoic, but emoting with his eyes. Well, he was in the, like, the very end of Breaking Bad, remember? Oh, it was, no. Like, it was like the guy who had to hide Walt. If you really have to disappear, you call this guy. I think he called him like a vacuum cleaner salesman or something. Like they built him up a lot, like over the last season, and I was thinking it was gonna be David Cross. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Which I would have appreciated, but it was Robert Forster. You paid good money for this. You got two acres up here, lots of woods, nice warm place. Seems to me just the spot for a man to rest up and think on things. If you look around, it's kind of beautiful. You're very helpful. Thank you. See you in a month. It's like the only thing I remember seeing him in other than this. I'm sure he's been in lots of stuff, right? Yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah, I like it when he is singing the Delphonic song in his car and he like had bought the CD because he heard the record at her house. The music in this is so good. I had this soundtrack. So many good songs on it. I mean, that's something Quentin Tarantino is pretty good at. Yeah, (laughs) definitely. Although he did take some of the soundtrack from Coffee, at least. I still recognize one of the songs. Um, And then I think there's another song too from another one of Pam Greer's movies where she's actually singing the song. I'm a long time woman And I'm serving my time I've been locked away so long now I've forgotten my crime Been working on the road now I've been working by the sea Been a working in the Any other hot probs? I mean, I was just a little confused by the con and what was going on, and then especially, I didn't really get, like, what was Jackie's plan regarding Melanie? I feel like it kind of helps her. Well, I don't think she was assuming that someone was going to kill her, and that did kind of help her in her story. Yeah. But, like, if someone didn't kill Melanie, she kind of fucks her over, right? I mean, I just sort of was confused. Well, Melanie had some on. money on her. The cherry on top. I put a cherry on top. Booyah. What the fuck did Ordell ever do for us, huh? Right. So she would have gotten caught with that money, with the March bills. Right, but the bag that Melanie has is supposed to have all the money, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Well, I think she thought that Ordell would assume that she is lying and squirreled the money away somewhere. And would assume would who's lying? Melanie. Right. So she and does. She, well, that's what I'm saying. So she totally fucked over Melanie. Yeah. Somehow. Like right. she okay. probably set Melanie up to die. <laughs> Either right. way, but that's she didn't know that Lewis was going to kill her. She thought probably Ordell right. would kill her. 
Yeah. Which yeah. isn't particularly cool. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's not great. Yeah, that was a problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got confused with the con. It was a little hard for me to follow. And then... I think he makes it extra hard to follow by showing that same scene three times. I don't think right. you need that. I think it makes it seem more complicated than it is mm-hmm. because of yeah. that. Really, the only thing different in those scenes is whose point of view you're seeing the exact same shit happen from, basically. Right. Yeah, and it's, like, not really a riveting, tense, like, thing. It's just, she's trying, <laughs> she's trying to right. Yeah. <laughs> Melanie's pretending to look at clothes. Yeah, Melanie but... and Lewis are arguing, and yeah. it's dumb. Like, they're not even really talking about anything important. They're just kind of bickering. <laughs> <laughs> and it also is pretty crazy that Lewis doesn't think anything at all of, like, the male bondsman being there in the women's section of the department store. Like, huh, I know that guy, you know? Yeah. You see Max Cherry in the dress department where we... Man, look at me when I'm talking to you! You see that motherfucker in the dress department when we about to get a half million dollars and you don't think nothing about him no, being why? there? No, they know each other? Hell yeah, they know each other! He bonded the ass out of county! Well, how am I supposed to know you that? You know he's a bail bondsman, don't you? You know all them motherfuckers is crooked as a barrel of snakes, don't you? Why should I think something's weird if I don't know nothing I about them? I don't want to hear no fucking other, excuses, <laughs> That should raise some alarm bells for you, you know. Yeah, and it didn't at all. There's a lot of threats yeah. <laughs> in this con. And it is very much dependent on absolutely everything going exactly the way she expects it to go. Right, yeah. So, I mean, it's, like, really amazing that it goes off without a hitch the way it does. I mean, I guess that's the idea is that she's just such a great reader of people that she knows exactly what everyone's going to do. She knows Ordell. She knows people like Ray, I guess. She hadn't met Ray before, I don't think, right? But she just knows that kind of guy. So she's like, I know he's going to want to take credit for the bus, but he's never going to look deeper in the bag and all that stuff. Like, wow, you're really assuming a lot. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Or like she was saying, when she went out to dinner with Ray, she was saying that Ordell's really scared. And it's like, I'm going to tell him that so he's he'll feel really good about that. She knows the cop will be really pumped (laughs) to, like, know this guy is scared of him. Right. (laughs) Like, telling him that will make him not think other things are suspicious, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, she's just so cool. The whole movie, I'll figure it out or whatever. Like, and even when she's talking on the phone with Max Cherry, talking about the plan, and I can't remember exactly how he put it, but she's just like, well, that's what you do. You rationalize, so you'll go through with the plan. Max, you said it yourself. Ray wants Ordell. He doesn't give a shit about the money. The money won't convict him. Guns will. You're rationalizing. Well, that's what you do to go through with the shit you start. You rationalize. I can do it, Max. I know I can. I just can't do it without you. She's (laughs) just, like, so determined to make it work and pulls it off, which is really awesome. I love the scene also where Ordell comes to her apartment and he's like basically <laughs> yeah. set to kill her and it's really creepy. That keeps... scene is really tense. Yeah, yeah, that was a crazy scene where he's like turning down the lights in the room yeah. with her mm-hmm. and then he grabs her neck and then she had the foresight to get the gun from Max's car so right. like she knew he was coming for her. Yeah, she is really smart. I mean, I think that it is believable that she's that smart. 
that she knew, like, immediately why Ordell would bail her out. That's his MO, really, is, like, I yeah. can't have anybody talking about me, so... Right. <laughs> if you're in jail for too long, you're going to start talking. And so she needed a weapon. Yeah. <laughs> I do, I yeah. like that kind of split-screen reveal thing. <laughs> like, yeah. I love a De Palma move. I thought that was a good scene. But it's just that, like, there's so many moving parts to her plan that... Right. With so many different people involved, too, that are totally unpredictable that she doesn't know. Yeah, it could go wrong pretty easily. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but she is very quick on her feet when people, anybody, like, tries to poke holes in it. Mm-hmm. Any of her stories, she's always got something to say that makes perfect sense, which I really like. What in the bag she gave you? She didn't give me a bag. <laughs> Melanie was not a part of the plan. Odell probably told her to do it. That's why she came into the dressing room, grabbed the bag, took off, but I couldn't go after it because I was in my fucking underwear. And I had to put on this suit because I could put it on faster than my uniform. You had time to pay the sales check? I had to. I was frantic. What was I supposed to do? Right, and also I think she plays off being an ancient black woman. (laughs) I think people are underestimating her. Like, no one's going to think she's some criminal mastermind. Yeah, like whenever anyone is talking to her about how she's in this... (laughs) No win situation of being an ancient ancient black woman. She's like, yeah, I'll let them think that because that's how I'm going to get out of here, basically. Yeah. (laughs) I guess I like that. This is my favorite Quentin Tarantino movie. I really like this movie a lot. I have such a complicated relationship with Tarantino in general. (laughs) (laughs) It would be weird if you didn't. I don't know if any woman is like, oh, I just straight up love Tarantino. No. (laughs) (laughs) No problems here. No ambivalence about it. No, Tarantino. not even Newman Thurman feels that way. Okay. <laughs> not anymore. She really shouldn't. Yeah. One of my hot props I just wrote feet, 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 feet. I didn't know about the feet. You thing. didn't know? I had not. You heard didn't know about that was that. his thing? That, no. Oh I, I mean, it, but once you said that, I was like, yeah. Then you just started remembering were, everything. Yeah, and then, like, <laughs> yeah. Margaret Qualley, like, there were she's a lot the of hippie feet in that and, one. Yeah. Yeah. She's yeah. got her feet on the dashboard or hanging out of the car window and. That character kind of reminded me of Melanie in this movie. Yeah. Like, just kind of like the free spirit, mm-hmm. L.A. beach girl. I thought they were kind of similar. Yeah. But yeah, the way that the women are treated in the movie is totally shitty. And even the movies that are in the movie, like the Chicks with Guns show, mm-hmm. or Melanie's watching oh, right. this movie... Where, like, a guy's, like, slapping this woman a bunch of times. Yeah, just, like, all those little touches of, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Gender roles, yeah. Yeah, Women are hysterical and men are violent. (laughs) Yeah. Ordell wants Melanie to answer the phone for him. And get him drinks for him. Because he's paying for her apartment. He's like, I own you and you do whatever I want you to. And then there's like a whole, I don't know, remember who says it, if she says it or Adele says that that's kind of her MO is just like finding men to pay her bills. Like the guy who was cut out of her oh, picture yeah, from was, Japan. I love her talking <laughs> about the guy. It was something like I knew him enough to know that I didn't miss anything. Well, that's a picture of me in Japan. Whose arm is that? Uh, that's the guy that I live with. His name was Hiro. Hiro- Hiroshi. That must have made quite an impression. (laughs) Count cheese. I never got to know him, really. You know, I couldn't speak any Japanese, and his English was terrible. But, you know, what am I going to say? His English is better than my Japanese, you know? That sounds like a problem. Not really. You know, we didn't have that much to say to each other anyway. Mm -hmm. I never really got to know him, but I knew enough to know that I wasn't missing much, so... 
Anyway, I keep that picture because of all the fucking time I was there. That's the only picture I've got of me in Japan. That's Japan. That's what Quinn gets for hiring these dynamic women to play his two-dimensional <laughs> women, right? Like, right. Bridget Fonda probably put so much more life into that character than was on the page. Mm-hmm. And that's why it seems just, like, <laughs> so <laughs> shitty what happens to her. But in his mind, it was like, yeah, she is this gold digger who kind of maybe deserves what she gets instead of, no, she's just a woman who's trying to enjoy her life. And yeah. there is, really isn't anything wrong with that. She's got yeah. a couple of my favorite meaningful passages. I really like Melanie and I yeah. wish that she'd she gotten out of there. <laughs> I wish she was in it more. Yeah, yeah I yeah. liked her a lot. I like the way she was talking about Ardell. He doesn't know anything about guns. He thinks he's like this <laughs> mastermind and telling Lewis all of this stuff. Like, she's a smart woman, but Ordell just kind of like treats her as like a kept woman or something. I don't you know, know. she kind of reminds me of is a Seth Rogen character, right? <laughs> yeah. And everyone loves that. Everyone loves <laughs> Seth Rogen, the pot smoking slacker who just sits on the couch and has funny quips to say. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of her deal. She's like a beautiful, young, beautiful Seth Rogen. Right. <laughs> What's not to love about that? <laughs> Next call. I've already started underlining meaningful passages in her copy of Mopey Dick, if you know what I mean. One of my <laughs> favorite Melanie lines is when Ordell's always giving her shit for smoking weed. And he's like, it's going to rob you of your ambition. And she says, not if your ambition is to get high and watch TV. You're getting high already? It's just two o'clock. It's that late? You know, you smoke too much of that shit. That shit's going to rob you of your ambition. Not if your ambition is to get high and watch TV. <laughs> <laughs> I like everything she did too, but my favorite thing she did is in the beginning when she doesn't want to answer the phone. She's like, you know it's for you. And he says, answer it anyway. And she just said, hello, it's for you. Hello, it's for you. <laughs> I really like that. I do too. I liked Beaumont's, uh, like a favor that requires me to go out tonight. <laughs> I need a favor, nigga. That requires me to go out tonight? Just a bit. Oh, you know what? I plan on going no place tonight, man. It is late as hell, man. I'm home. I'm high, man. Come on. Uh-huh. I like that whole thing and how he's like, I'm home and I'm high. I totally related to that. I'm like, yeah, I don't want to go anywhere. <laughs> I'm in my pajama pants. I like the way Ordell says, that's a house, when Max asks him if he lives in a house or an apartment, like his address. That's a house. I like that. That's a really nice line delivery. (laughs) I I like how he kind of calls him out when he has the picture of himself with his black employee. (laughs) I bet it was your idea to take that picture. Yeah. (laughs) Who's that big mandingo looking nigga you got up there on that picture with you? That's Winston. He works here. Damn. He's a big one, ain't he? Y'all tight? Yeah. But you was boss though, right? Yeah. Bet it was your idea to take that picture too, wasn't it? It was very much like, this is my black friend. Yes. And employee. (laughs) I like when she's negotiating. Ordell came over to kill her, but she ended up pulling a gun on him. And she's negotiating this, you know, I know you came here to kill me. And she's like, no, 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 it's okay. It's okay. I forgive you. Now, sooner or later, they're going to get around to offering me a plea deal. And you know that. That's why you came here to kill me. (laughs) Come over here to kill you. It's okay. Now, I forgive you. Now, let's say, if I tell on you, I walk. If I don't, I go to jail. Uh-huh. I want $100,000 in an escrow account in my name if I'm convicted up to you or put on probation. 
Now, if I have to do more than a year, you pay another $100,000. I can do that. Okay, it's fine. I forgive you. And then the, she's like, this is what you're gonna do for me. And she's working out how she's gonna get some money. And later there's a there's a line where she's like, a manager gets 15%. He's like, no, it's 10%. She's like, no, that's an agent. We're in this together. Yeah, but it's my money and I don't need no fucking partners. I ain't your partner, I'm your manager. And I'm managing to get your money out of Mexico into America in your hands. And I'm managing to do it all under the nose of the cops. So therefore, I'm your manager and a manager gets 15%. No, manager gets 10%. <laughs> no, that's an agent. A I'm manager gets... 10. No, no. A manager gets 15%. Agent gets 10. I'm getting 15%. I like that one a lot. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, she's so smart because... She, like, knows how to talk to Rodell, who seems like a guy who's not easy to talk to, or at least not into things. He's got his mind made up, but she kind of talks to him on his wavelength of, like, I get that you'd want to kill me. Like, she's, you know, <laughs> it makes sense. Like, if I were you, I'd want to kill me, too. But here's why you don't have to. Even though I'm sure she doesn't really feel that way. I'm sure right. she's got a lot of problems with Ordell's worldview, but she's really good at talking to people. She kind of handles Ray that way, too. And it's almost like the only person she's really truly herself with is Max. He's so charming, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I think Max is so charming in this movie. But, like, she knows how to handle all the hotheads. And I wonder if that's part of being a flight attendant. Right. And having to deal with all those shitty dudes in first class. Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah, that sounds like a rough job. To yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. People, they're most ordinary. Yeah. <laughs> or most entitled, too. Because especially if she's a Cabo flight attendant, mm -hmm. everybody's on vacay. Right, you know? yeah. Oh, yeah, like, that's true. I had a friend whose sister was a flight attendant for Alaska Air and she had some crazy like dealing with drunk people and people wanting to join the Mile High Club yeah. like oh, to take the, the door off the tiniest little room in the world. I don't know yeah airplane bathroom like, no. I don't know yeah no gross no. But it sounds like a it sounds like a rough job. Yeah, I do not get the mile high club thing. I don't either. Like what is I can't imagine it's just like, like what there's some places you shouldn't fuck. You just, <laughs> it's not for fucking. Right. <laughs> do it somewhere else. Airplane bathrooms are just so disgusting. It has that weird smell in the air. I mean, it's yeah. just so narrow. It's a tiny, you can barely fit one person in I know. there. Yeah. I'm not a big person and I feel like so cramped in an <laughs> airplane bathroom. Like, was someone else in there with me? Did you ever change a baby diaper oh, in an airplane bathroom? Like, yes. that always, every time I was in there, I was thinking, like, how would two people fuck in this when I can barely <laughs> fit in here with my baby? Right. <laughs> There's a changing table in here, and it's like the most dangerous little slab that pulls down. <laughs> that is so hard. Like, it's so, so hard to do. It's awful, <laughs> yeah. You don't want to do it unless you absolutely have to. <laughs> it's better to wait. So I guess none of us are in the Mile High Club. <laughs> okay. Oh, I liked Max's line of, I'm 56 years old, I can't blame anybody for anything I do. That's just oh. such a refreshing thing to hear yeah. a man say at all. I didn't use you, Max. I didn't say you did. And I never lied to you. I know that. We're partners. I'm 56 years old. I can't blame anybody for anything I do. Because it seems like 
most dudes are in yeah. blaming. Even in this movie, almost everybody's blaming their yeah. problems on everybody else. Right. <laughs> so I like that line. I thought that I mean, it must be like an Elmore Leonard original. <laughs> I'm assuming. I'm right. guessing. <laughs> I liked when she said, I want to wash the jail out of my hair. <sighs> you know, I couldn't wait to get home last night and wash the jail out of my hair. Looks nice. Thanks. I oh. like the, I put a cherry on top, and what the fuck did Ordell ever do for us? And she's yeah. gonna, like, puts the money on top even, of that. Even though she's setting her up. That would have been a nice moment of solidarity if right. she weren't trying to set her up. I liked Ordell telling Lewis, don't touch my levels. <laughs> He's going to <laughs> yeah. tell him to sit in the car. I like a lot of things that Ordell said. Like, I also like, and it's like, towards the end, it's such a frantic situation. I think, is it woman Simone, the one that was doing her little show oh the yeah the, the, yeah. yeah and i think he's out of her place and he's on the phone with someone and then he stops and he's like how do you live like this <laughs> some repugnant shit <laughs> damn girl how you live like this like what this this some repugnant shit <laughs> i really liked that yeah it's funny how he has he all has these women lo- set up around the city right. yeah all over town <laughs> And if one bails, and he just like expects, it's almost like a liability that he plans for when one of them runs off with his money. Like, <laughs> he's just like, all right, well, I can't go to her house anymore. She stole my $10,000. <laughs> this is not from the movie, but I was reading an article from the 20th anniversary of the movie coming out in Variety. And Pam Greer said, you want to hear my ending? She says, in my ending, Max and I have a nice kiss, a second kiss, embrace, and he lets all the phone calls go to voicemail. He'll take care of them later. He turns out the light, takes the keys, comes with me, Whoa. gets in the car. I drive off, and all of a sudden, he becomes this chatterbox and yeah. annoying. I go around the block, drop him off, and peel out of there. Wow. <laughs> that's awesome. I think that's very that's funny. That's really funny. I do really like the ending of this movie, but I think that is a great ending yeah. also. Because <laughs> either way, she's just like, all right, I'm going to Spain. See ya. Yeah. Not really a meaningful passage, but it's when she's on the intercom, and she's like, Jackie Brown. Jackie Brown. I wondered if that was like a callback to her old movies or something. (laughs) And then like, I love the part where she's at Max's office and she's practicing for drawing the gun. I really liked that. That is really cool too. She's doing like facial expressions. She's practicing what face she's going to have. Yeah. She has this way of speaking out of one side of her mouth almost. (laughs) I just remembered that from when I first watched it. The way she talks is so cool, you know? What else does a suicide need, huh? One shot that I really, well, the shot in the beginning, the opening credits, where she's the flight attendant, Mm -hmm. it's like the drudgery of the moving sidewalk and the airport tiled wall. And then after she gets away with the money, I think there's like another shot of her walking against a, I think it's like a blue wall or something. I felt like it Mm -hmm. was like a bookended thing, it seemed like. Yeah. Like she got away with it. She's kind of like owning her own life. I didn't really like know the backstory, but it seemed like... The first time that she got caught, like her husband was a pilot. He had her transport something. Yeah, I think Maybe she that was, was in her. I, she was helping him smuggle cocaine or something or some. I think it was drugs. Yeah. yeah. And they both got busted, but she went to jail and she got on probation, I think. But like because of the probation, the only airline she can work for is Cabo Air. Which is apparently a shitty, I don't know. <laughs> right, yeah. It's all the spring breakers. But I kind of wondered if it was like these other crimes that like she was a part of or like the smuggling. 
if that was her idea or if it was her husband's business and she's like his wife and like I bet was that, helping yeah. him out and was more of like a it's my husband I'm gonna help yeah. him do this kind of thing and then like with Ordell it was sort of like I think that was just because she already knew how to do it and she needed extra money. Because she says at one point, she says how much she makes. She said she makes $16,000. I know. I was like, a year? What? Like, how is that even? I mean, even in like 1997. That's crazy. I know. That's. Yeah, so you'd have to have another job. So I think it's like just out of desperation. Even like temping would be more than that. But But, yeah, it seemed like this con she pulls off, it's like all hers. Yeah. Her execution. Mm -hmm. And before she was kind of like just a piece of the operation. Yeah. So it felt like really triumphant when she's walking away with all the money. and. Yeah, I think so. She learned from all these guys over the years and she took everything she learned from them and she also learned from their mistakes more importantly and that was how she was able to pull this off and I get the impression too that it's like a one-time thing she's gonna try and make this last and since she's so old she'll probably be dead soon anyway, <laughs> yeah, so. right. last much longer than she and her <laughs> yeah and then under the nose of the ETF, which is also so right. amazing. Yeah, like, that was really great. Too. Yeah. <laughs> I can't tell if Ray, and I really do love uh, Michael Keaton a lot, but there's just so many other great people in this movie. That's kind of a testament to how many great actors are in the movie. We're only just now mentioning him. Right? I know. I've totally <laughs> forgotten he was in it. But I can't tell if he is actually supposed to be like, it seems like he might be a bad ATF guy. Yeah, I think he's supposed to be not that bright. Yeah. Well, also, this is like my favorite fun fact about this movie is that it's from an Elmore Leonard book and Out of Sight is also from an Elmore Leonard book. And that character is in both books. And Michael Keaton plays the same character in both movies. And it was, like, not planned that way. It was just, like, when they were shooting Out of Sight. Because I listened to Out of Sight commentary. Oh, went cool. To, yeah. And Steven Sauter was saying, like, oh, that would be kind of a fun thing. He went to visit the set to sort of see how he was playing him because he had an idea of what he wanted in his movie, you know. And yeah. it was fine. You know, so he so he went and then shot a couple of He's barely in it in Out of Sight. But it's the same character, and he was like, he's already playing him in this movie. He was just like, come over and play him in, in Out of Sight, too. Oh, that's funny. So they were shooting cool. at the same time? Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's fun when you watch Out of Sight, like, or when you watch it the first time, at least, and it's like, oh, it's Michael Keaton, and he's like barely in his. <laughs> yeah, so it's funny, like, Steven Soderbergh was saying in the commentary, he's like, I don't think there's another example of a guy playing the same character in two movies that really aren't connected otherwise, Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, I really can't like, think of any other examples. Oh, I have a fun fact. The editor on this movie, her name's Sally Menke, and she grew up in Gainesville. Oh, and she hometown hero. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like when Pulp Fiction came out, there was an article about her in our local paper, and I was like, that's so cool. She's from my hometown. That's like, cool. Did you get to write about her in the Gazette? <laughs> no, I did not. <laughs> Have you I ever was... seen her newspaper from, like, fourth grade? No. <laughs> oh, my God, it's, like, the cutest thing ever. It's something Gazette, right? Uh, the Glen Springs Gazette. <laughs> That. Yeah, that was our newspaper. In your school newspaper? Or no, they just, just for my your newspaper? Class. Okay. <laughs> There's a lost tooth report in it. Aww. I know. It was like all the kids reported how many teeth they've lost. 
And then my friend Aaron, who I grew up with, wrote about the Challenger. Oh, God. Like, it's like one sentence. Yeah, it's like one sentence. It blew up. Is that the Did sentence? Did you guys know about this? <laughs> Did you know about the Challenger? It's so good. That's cool. I love it when other people have fun facts. Too. Yeah. You're not the only one who has fun facts. <laughs> I'm not the only one with access to IMDb. <laughs> Mine was from watching the commentary. Oh, yeah. That's great. I love that. Yeah. I I love... You know Steven Soderbergh gives very good commentary. I do. He's great. I love his... I like his movies a lot. Yeah. (laughs) That guy rules. That guy rules. He does. I like the... uh, I like Robert De Niro's bong hit. I think that's very funny. That scene is funny, and then I like the... The Melanie, like, classic line of if coughing gets you higher, like, that's a very funny <laughs> line to me because it's just something that everybody says right. all the time. Take your thumb off the cup. <laughs> you okay? Getting old. <coughs> Spoke a laugh now. About coughing. Coughing's good. It opens up the capillaries. You know, when you cough, you're pulling air, or in this case, right smoke, into parts of the lungs that don't normally get used. And so, coughing's good. It gets you higher. You definitely know a lot about that. <laughs> I know. It's like definitely the thing that people. I remember when I first smoked weed, my friend just sort of like shepherding me through that. <laughs> like, okay, yeah, that's normal. Or like, coughing yeah. is good. Yeah. <laughs> I know, and they'd always make it sound scientific like it opens the capillary. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's science. It's weed science. <laughs> I did not like. Ordell's hair. It was just so weird seeing Samuel L. Jackson with the long hair. And then he had, like... The braided like goatee. Braided. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that is like a, so 90s. It was Whoa. a very skinny braid. <laughs> yes. Oh, God. Or, like, the tiny, t- like, the soul patch. Thing. Yeah. It was very 90s. 90s facial hair. Yeah. yeah. Other than that, it's not all that 90s. But, right. like, yeah. that definitely dates it. And that was his idea, apparently. For some okay. reason. He was like, I think my character would have a braided goatee. It's probably yeah. just because he wanted to have one at that time, <laughs> I'm assuming. Because <laughs> that's so cool. <laughs> yeah, that's one thing I like about Tarantino's films in general is that they all have a sort of timeless look to them because yeah. they all are just in his world, like the Tarantino mm-hmm. world. Which uh, perhaps is a good way to come into our <laughs> lunchtime yeah, poll. So this is what's called a lunchtime poll. The lunchtime poll question for today is, what would your filmmaking signature be? I mean, Quentin's got a lot. He's got the music thing. He's got the feet. He's got the N-word. He's got his obligatory cameo. So I guess if you wanted to have a couple, you could too. I, Even though this was my idea, I had a really hard time coming <laughs> up with an answer. But I did come up with two. So <laughs> this is like so silly. But I really like it in a movie. There's like two things in the shot. And the focus is on one, and then the focus changes, and the other thing comes into focus. That's called a rack focus. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's re- delete all the stuff I just said. What's it called again? A rack focus. A rack ah. focus. Mine would be a rack focus. <laughs> 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 I, 
I really like that. So yeah. I would probably, if I was a filmmaker, I'd probably put that in all my movies. And then I think just for fun, I think I would always include at some point, this would be like, you know how all Pixar movies have John Ratzenberger at some point? Yes. So all my movies <laughs> would have somebody named Mario. Who <laughs> has... <laughs> Love it. And it would be pronounced that way. He would introduce himself as Mario. And then would he correct people who called him Mario later? Yeah, I mean, it's like if someone has an accent or whatever, you know, it's like that. Yeah, you're not going to begrudge someone with their accent saying Mario the way that they would say it because that's their accent. Right, right. For instance. Right. I assume it's how Mario Cantone says his name. That is probably oh, true. Oh, wow. Maybe Mario Cantone would be in all my movies. I would love that. And he's I like, it's him. me, Mario Cantone. Mario Cantone. <laughs> it's me, the Mario star of Steam Pipe Alley, which you all know. <laughs> what is I that? I just know him from uh, Sex in the City. I know, but way before that, he was on a local, to me, growing up with the New York Stations show called Steam Pipe Alley, where it was, I told you about this, it was like a kid's cartoon show, but like in between cartoons, there were like sketches. Oh, yeah, yeah. He told me, but like I didn't, for some reason, I I didn't get the title. It was called Steam Pipe Alley. (laughs) Which sounds like one of two things to me. Number one sounds like a porno, obviously. And number two, it sounds like like a knockoff of the Super Mario Brothers. (laughs) This was probably before Mario Brothers, around the same time. Maybe influenced by. Maybe. He's probably the original Mario Brothers. He probably is. They're really the Cantone Was he, did he come out of a steam pipe at some point? I don't know why it was called Steam Pipe Alley. (laughs) It was so good, though. I gotta look this up on YouTube. It was just or so funny because the sketches were, it was like a kid's show, and then the sketches were like so Mario Cantone. Do you guys remember who Rex Reed is? I'm like so old. Do okay, you? the name, I know right. the name, but I. He was I like a, a film reviewer. Back when oh. they were, they don't do this anymore, right? Where there's like film reviews on TV. Like I Gene doubt Shallon. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like Gene Wait, Shallon, did, Re- did Rex Reed have a big mustache too? No, or? that's no. I don't know who I'm thinking of that. <laughs> anyway, Mario mm-hmm. Cantone does this really killer Rex Reed. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So there would often be sketches of Rex Reed. It's like, who is the audience for this show? Although it was me. Like, I watched that show. I was a teenager <laughs> when the show was on. And I was definitely too old for the cartoon part, but it was like, I watched this show because of this guy. <laughs> That's really it funny. So yeah, I would love to see him talk about Steam by Valley. <laughs> Please tell us everything that was going on there. Wow. Oh, if you're listening, Mario. Mario Cantone. <laughs> I wonder if he's on Cameo. I don't know. I'm going to look for him right now. <laughs> Amy just fanned herself. <laughs> I don't know what the implication of that is. I, I really like Mario Cantone. I mean, I know he's uh, he's not into the ladies, but I really like him. I mean, you could still you could still find him attractive even if he's not into the ladies. <laughs> I just didn't know. I didn't know that about oh you my and Mario. He is. He is on he there. Is. He is keeping it tight, for the record. <laughs> See, what is this thing? Hello, I'm Mario Cantone. <laughs> oh! oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Wait, did I? Yeah, you are. <laughs> I have two things. One thing I love in any movie, I love just a random musical number in a non-musical. Oh, yeah, you like, do love that. Yeah, I do. Just with no explanation, it's not a musical, but then there's just a 
scene where a character sings a song or even a big number. Anyway, I don't know, just one musical scene and then that's it and no one ever talks about it again. (laughs) That's one. And then the other thing is, this is a new idea that I had. I think it'd be really fun to just have some guy's penis get dismembered at (laughs) some point in the movie. You know, like Ari Aster's thing is like head trauma. My thing would be penis dismemberment. Like someone's just going (laughs) to cut off or shoot off someone's dick or something. I don't know. I just think it'd be... I'd be into that. Yeah. <laughs> I, no, that's a good one. I like that. Mine, I was thinking like I would have a dog in the movie, featured in a movie, or in a prominent shot. That was the first thing I thought of, and then... Like um, your dog, or just any dog? Well, I think just like having a dog in like a prominent shot of a... Yeah. A, or like a long scene with a dog involved in the movie. But, like, with no explanation or, or no... I mean, it doesn't... That was one thing I was thinking of. And then I love 80s new wave music, so I'd like to have that. Like, have, like, Taco or, like... <laughs> Tom, I don't know, Thompson I Twins. I putting or, on the Ritz. That's great. Yeah, like, I, I really like the synthy kind of... I'm just, like, so stuck in that. Like, that's my... I love the yeah, and the <laughs> that's what sounds good to you. Oh, yeah, no so that'd be my thing. I think. Nice. <laughs> I think it'd be cool if it were your dog, or like always a Westie or something. Or yeah, like how very Alfred Hitchcock. He had like well, I guess he didn't have Westie, but he had another terrier that looked exactly like Lily. I don't think they were in the movies, but. There's some really good pictures of Alfred Hitchcock and his dogs. It looks, it looks a lot like Lily. Oh. <laughs> um, That's cool. That makes me think of that. Did you see SNL this last week? No, I didn't see it. <laughs> it's mostly it's not good, but my favorite sketch was making fun of the birds. It's Kate McKinnon. And then John Mulaney is the other, like, making fun of how ridiculous the concept yeah. of a horror movie about birds attacking is. And right. it's very, very funny. Yeah. Highly recommend. <laughs> Greetings and salutations. So, today's shout-out is to Nevada listeners, Whoa. and don't fuck it up, Nevada. Yeah, oh my gosh. We're recording Nevada this. being a bit of a drama queen, Yeah, We're recording this the Thursday after Election Day. We still don't know who still our new president is. Nevada, guys. So, but I'm sure that our listeners, our 10 downloads, or our one Ooh. listener who downloaded 10 episodes, or something in between... I'm sure that they got their vote in early, and it's not. We're not waiting for them. Right. <laughs> Thank you. I assume that there's no Trump supporters from Nevada listening to this. There's just. It seems very unlikely. Yeah. Unlikely. yeah. Does anyone know anyone in Nevada? I don't. I don't think I do. I don't know anyone. I know a couple, sort of. There's no way that anybody that I know is the one listening, but my. Old boyfriend from forever ago, the one that I was talking about <laughs> earlier, the one that I met on the internet in 1996. Yeah. So my first internet boyfriend. Yeah. <laughs> um, his mom lived in Vegas. His mom did. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say, what if all your old boyfriends are just secretly obsessed with you and like all of our <laughs> listeners <laughs> are just your exes? Seems pretty <laughs> unlikely to me, but it could be his mom or also my ex-husband has an aunt and uncle who live in Vegas. Hmm. I would be very, very surprised if they're listening. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, anyways. Hi, Nevada. <laughs> hi. Hey. Now I have putting on the Ritz in my head. <laughs> Okay, any other, anything else? Any closing 
Closing remarks. <laughs> no, I don't. No, I think we covered it all. Okay, <laughs> covered it all. <laughs> Nothing know. more to say Jackie about Jackie Brown. Brown. <laughs> all right. On the next episode of Paid in Puke, we break bread with Miguel Arteta's 2017 dramedy, Beatrice at Dinner, starring Salma Hayek and written by Mike White. If you enjoyed this episode of Paid in Puke, please take a minute to rate us highly on your preferred podcast listening apparatus. If you did not enjoy this episode, no further action is necessary. Paid in Puke is hosted by Amy Green, Christina Barr, and Jessica Baxter. Music by Silent Partner. Follow us on Twitter at Paid in Puke Pod, on Instagram at Paid in Puke Seattle, or join us on Facebook at Paid in Puke Podcast. Thanks for listening. Lick it up, baby. Lick it up.